Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week, my producer Miranda and I explore the top stories making waves in the news, and some that are just plain interesting. We connect you with the journalists and people who know the story, and bring you news without the noise, so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, we will be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. We ended last week and started this week in dramatic fashion. Hurricane Florence was on its way to the Carolinas. We reached out to Alex Riley with the Wilmington Star News. They were the first ones that were going to get hit. And we started the week by talking to him and seeing what had happened. They got flooded out. There was damage to their news building and they had to move. It was a crazy story. And then we reached back with him later on in the week also. So what we're going to do with our Florence coverage here is we'll play our first interview on Monday with Alex Riley Then we're going to talk to Heather Halbach. She's a hurricane hunter. So she flew a plane into the eye of the storm to see what's going on in there. And then we'll touch back again with our Friday interview with Alex Riley and see how the recovery has gone a week later. So here's Alex Riley with what happened right after the storm hit. Honestly, our newsroom, a little bit older building and some of the flaws in it showed. uh, Had some flooding on the inside. Ceiling panels came crashing down. And then uh, about halfway through the day on uh, Thursday, I guess, the generator that was providing us some power went out. Uh, One of the generators went out. We had three. And then when they shut them all off and tried to reboot them, uh, they started smoking. So it was kind of like, okay, everybody get out of here. So we all kind of went our separate ways. Some people found friends that had houses that still had power or generators, things like that. Some folks went to a a TV news station that we have a partnership with here in town. Just been all over the place. We're actually set up at a hotel now. We've got a conference room that they're allowing us to use as our uh, our station right now. But uh, making it work. The paper's gotten out every day so far that I know about. We're still the longest printing paper in the state of North Carolina. No hurricane could stop it. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. You know, as Florence was making its way towards land, it was going slower and slower and slower and just stalling out and just dropping historic amounts of rain. I think they in your area, you've reached like the record rainfall that you would usually experience in a whole year or something already. Um, And the flooding is the major part. As soon as it started and flooding started happening, people starting caught, we were hearing stories already of people needing to be rescued. Not as many people evacuated as maybe they should have. And now we're hearing that Wilmington is cut off completely. Yeah. I mean, that's been our assessment too. The two major highways that come in here would be uh, I-40 uh, which comes from the Raleigh uh, area, and it's uh, pretty much cut off at about Warsaw, which is still probably 60 miles away, maybe more than that, from Wilmington. And then Highway 74, 76, which comes up from Whiteville, is also cut off from what we hear. There's been parts of the road that have been collapsing. It's one of those things where they tell you not to drive through high water because you don't know how deep it is. Well, it's not. It's one of those things where you don't know if the road's collapsing underneath it. They've right. had some vehicles that have gone in and found those sinkholes and kind of sunk with it. So, yeah, we're, uh, we're completely cut off from the world right now. Now, um, there's still parts of town that have a little bit of power. Um, South College Road over by uh, UNC Wilmington still had some power. Uh, there were some restaurants up and running over in that area of town, but they also have major flooding. Like you can look and see there's a road, side street, where the Golden Corral 
the sign is on, but there's a Mercedes Benz in the middle of the road, halfway flooded. It's <laughs> right there in the middle of town, in the middle of civilization, with all the lights and stuff on around it. So it, it's pretty much everything you're hearing and, and probably a little bit worse in some areas. For perspective, what do you do when there's no power? What do you do when the floods are right outside and everything? How are you keeping safe? We've kind of hunkered down in the house. Luckily for us, you know, we're kind of on a little bit higher elevation, a little inland here just north of uh, downtown Wilmington. We've been lucky. There's been some parts of our road where the drainage ditches are not very deep, so the water's kind of backed up a little bit, but it's one of those things where it's an inch of water sitting on the road. It's not too bad, but we just cleaned out our freezer right now. Uh, we're uh, currently grilling all the meat that we have in the freezer so that uh, it doesn't go to waste. Unfortunately, the lines for gas are an hour and a half, two hours, three hours long, depending on where you go. Now, hardly anything is open, although I did find a Waffle House today that was open. We were trying to stop somewhere and I uh, ended up getting a, a nail in our tire and had to get it patched, but some folks came out of uh, the restaurant and helped us do it uh, in the pouring rain and, uh, you know, it's been a community coming together. People seem to be helping each other and and I think we're going to be all right, but it's definitely, a, I hate to use the word a disaster zone because I think that's overused sometimes, but Wilmington is definitely a disaster zone right now. One of the unfortunate things that happens with all of these natural disasters is deaths. We're hearing now that there's 15 dead. The number could obviously change. Some of these are, they're just so unfortunate. I, I Two people died because they had a generator going inside the house and they died of carbon monoxide poisoning. And sure. I remember specifically them warning, don't use a generator inside because some of these things can happen. And it's just so unfortunate that these things are happening. Yeah, it really is. The one that's kind of hit all of us the hardest was actually the first one, to be yes, honest with you. Right. The, mo- the most tragic of them is the child and her mother who were just asleep in the bed. And I think the father was there as well. And the tree fell in their house. I know they got the father out, but uh, the little girl, uh, eight month old uh, baby and uh, the mom passed away because uh, the tree came down their house. And that's just something you've taken all the right precautions. You've hunkered down. You figured out, uh, you know, where you're supposed to be and all that type of stuff. But we're seeing a lot of trees snapping because of the wind. I mean, that that does tend to happen, especially in ones that are brittle and stuff. But the other thing that we're seeing maybe even more of is the ground is so saturated that it's ripping it up by the roots. It's taking it straight out of the ground and just tipping it over. And that's been almost the bigger concern than the trees, you know, breaking in half is is them basically being uprooted and, and dropped. And I don't know what happened in that situation, but it could have been one of those things. And it's a tragedy and, and uh, you, you, hate, you hate that it has to happen or that it did happen. Definitely makes you aware and makes you think and makes you look a little harder as you look around uh, your surroundings. Thank you very much for joining us. Stay safe out there. We appreciate you giving us updates. It's going to keep going because the story continues far beyond the storm, actually. Then there's recovery efforts that need to happen. And as you said, Wilmington was hit first, hit hard, and and you guys are going to be feeling it for quite some time. It's going to be a while before uh, things get back to a real sense of normalcy here. And uh, I'm, I'm planning on being here and see how it all plays out. But it's going to be a long time before it does. Alex Riley, reporter with the Wilmington Star News. Thank you very much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you all. One of the most important and exciting jobs that has to do with hurricanes is that of the hurricane hunter. They fly in a plane through the wall of the storm and into the eye, and they use instruments to find out the wind speed and the severity of these storms. They're the ones that classify them as category ones through five. So we spoke to Dr. Heather Hallback. She's a hurricane hunter with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. It's a pretty incredible experience, not one that many people get to. 
see. And so for most of my job, I'm sitting behind a computer all day. So to actually get out there and see firsthand what I'm studying is a really helpful experience. Helps me connect the numbers and equations to the actual environment of what's happening. Sometimes it can be a little turbulent, sometimes not so much. Every storm is different, but it's uh, pretty amazing when you are going through the eye wall and you're bouncing around and then you get into the eye and it's just calm and peaceful. It really gives you a different feel for Mother Nature. I can only relate this to flights that I have taken and any little bit of wind and the turbulence that happens, but you're going through high winds and a lot of rain. Are those rides really bumpy? Each storm is different. Sometimes a Category 5 storm can be pretty smooth, and sometimes a tropical storm can be really bouncy. The storms that tend to be a little bouncy are the ones that are changing their intensity. So, for instance, when I was flying in Florence a week ago, our first pass through the storm was a little bumpy, but then it kind of maintained its strength for the rest of the flight, and it wasn't as bumpy the rest of the time. So you never know until you get out there. How long are these flight missions usually? They typically last anywhere from seven to nine hours. Why is this such an important thing? I I know you guys drop sensors, but you guys are basically responsible for mapping out the wind speeds and kind of where the trajectory of the hurricane will go. So without this first-hand knowledge, we're not going to know exactly what's going to happen with the hurricanes. Yeah, so satellites have come a long ways in the past, you know, 50 or so years, but to get the detailed information that we really need to understand the intensity of the hurricane, how it's moving, where it's moving, we really need to get in there with these planes and collect higher resolution information from the instruments that we have on the planes and release what we call dropsons to get the direct in situ measurements from the storm. Without that information, the forecast isn't as accurate. And so that's why it's really important for us to be able to get in there and collect these more high resolution direct observations that we can't get from satellites. How many passes and how often are you going through a hurricane? Let's say Florence, for example, we're hearing about it for a week or two before it's going to make landfall. How many times are you guys passing through? A typical mission would be anywhere from three to four passes usually, but last Monday for our mission in Florence, we were flying a research mission and we actually went in and out of the eye wall nine times. What was your first big mission like? I, you know, Obviously studying all this stuff, you see when storms come and make landfall and the devastation that happens, you know it's a powerful thing. So what was your first mission like knowing you had to fly through it? My first mission was in 2013 into what was at the time Tropical Storm Ingrid, uh, became Hurricane Ingrid in the southern Gulf of Mexico. That was a really neat experience for me because it helped me understand what it was that I was studying. So I, I work with an instrument that measures the winds at the ocean surface. And so it really helped me understand how the ocean changes as a storm changes and to see how quickly it can change really helps you understand how violent and how quickly things can change when a storm is making landfall. So it really puts things into perspective for you. And after studying hurricanes for so long now, what's the most important thing people should know about hurricanes? I think the most important thing is to not focus on the peak wind speed that's being reported. It's really more of the size of the storm that has the biggest impact. So if you have a small but very intense storm, that might not, it might impact, you know, some people really badly. But if you have a large storm with not quite as big of a wind field, such as what Florence ended up being, you can get a lot of people impacted very severely. Uh, when people get too focused on what category a storm is, that can, they can let their guard down. And that can lead to a lot more deaths and uh, destruction that if people aren't preparing properly. And that's kind of what happened with Florence. It kept 
downgrading as it was making landfall. Now we're dealing with the after effects a lot. It's always the flooding that are the longer lasting effects usually. But people kept seeing, oh, it's being downgraded. It's being Mm -hmm. downgraded. And then, you know, a lot of people stayed behind and then you need to get rescued after that. Yeah, that's always our fear is that people are so used to hearing, oh, it's just a category one. That's no big deal. But I mean, we saw this with Irma last year and now again with Florence that a category one, even a tropical storm, can bring a lot of destruction. How many times have you been told that you're crazy for being a hurricane hunter? <laughs> I usually get one of two responses, either you're crazy or that's awesome. So. I think it's I think it's a little bit of both, but uh, no, it's, it's great stuff. Uh, thank you for joining us. Dr. Heather Holbach, hurricane hunter with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me. And now back to Wilmington, North Carolina, one of the hardest hit areas by Florence. They're still an island with lots of road closures and flooding all over the place, limited supplies. So we talked to Alex Riley again one week later. We got some access for a little bit, some roadways cleared up. The problem with this, though, is new water comes in from up in the upper part of the state or, you know, areas suddenly can't hold any water anymore. Dams start breaking, stuff like that, and you get new flooding. And we went from an island to having some access, a lot of back roads. I talked with a restaurant owner who lived in Raleigh. And uh, he actually came down for one of his franchises here in Wilmington. A trip that should take him about two and a half hours took him eight hours. I had to go all back roads and had to go up the coast to go down the coast. It was a pretty crazy route. But as of today, I think we're back to all the major roads are shut down. We're stuck again. I think there might be a few back roads open, but we're, we're pretty isolated once again. So. Yeah. <laughs> Officials are even saying uh, if you were going to come back, don't let the waters recede more because they're saying there's going to be more flooding as things start receding eating and moving. Pardon the pun, it's still a very fluid situation. Things can change at any moment. Your house can have power. You can be in a good spot, but unfortunately with supplies the way they are and the flooding moving around like it is, you can come stuck in an instant. And and the problem that we're getting is we're trying to get supplies down here, trucks right. with gas, trucks with food, water and stuff. But people who are in those other parts of the state or other parts of the country who are thinking, well, the storm's passed, I can go home. They're clogging up the roadways, making it hard for those supplies to get down here. So it's a double whammy, I guess you would right. say. Talk about I-40 and how important that is, because they're saying that even after the waters recede, there's going to be damage. There's going to be have to be rep- uh, repairs made to the road before people can really start coming back in mass. We've seen significant collapses on the road uh, in certain parts where it just gave way underneath sinkholes and stuff like that. So there's a ton of damage. And that's that's not even including what's still underwater because we don't even know what's underneath all the water that's standing. And you've probably seen the photos just like we all have online. You right. look and you're, you're looking at highway and it looks like a river, you know, two trees with yeah. water in the middle. It looks like you should be able to throw a fishing line out there and catch some bass. That's the way it is in certain parts. We had a sinkhole open up just at our office, just next to the building. Wow. So you never know where they're going to pop up. You don't know uh, when it's going to happen. And uh, they're going to be surveying I-40 and some of the other highways for a really long time to make sure they're structurally sound. Because we could be months after this and all of a sudden a sinkhole could open up from a little thunderstorm rolling through or so. It's going to be a process. And the death toll has risen. It's about 37 people now that have died. A lot of them died trapped in their cars because they were trapped by the floods. That's why they tell you, turn around, don't drown. It, It sounds so basic and so simple, yet people refuse to heed the warning and 
you could have driven over that spot a hundred times in the last couple of days because it's the way out of your house and all of a sudden it's three feet deeper than it was the day before. When did electricity come back? Probably not for everybody, but when did you guys get your electricity back? I've talked to people who from the time the storm made landfall to now have never lost electricity. Our IT guy at our office, when I talked to him today, he kept electricity all the way through. My wife and I, uh, we just got electricity back yesterday, which was Wednesday at about 6 p.m. somewhere in there. And the storm hit Wednesday night, basically. So almost a full week without any electricity. And there's still areas you go out and drive around for five minutes and you'll see probably 50 line trucks out still working, cutting away debris, trying to get power lines back together. So there's still parts, significant parts of town, thousands and thousands and thousands of people who don't have power right now. And the latest I heard was that all power would be restored by Sunday. That's the goal for Duke Energy, who is the primary electric provider in in New Hanover County, is to have everything restored by Sunday. But heck, that's still four days away. Right, exactly. (laughs) And and reading in some of the reporting, obviously it's very tragic, but people are saying that there's nothing to do because there's no electricity. And one of the only benefits is that at least neighbors are coming together more and talking to each other because you have nothing else to do at that point. It's true. Uh, You know, I've been out and about trying to find some food, trying to uh, find some shelter and stuff. We've got a dog and a cat just trying to get them cooled off because it's significantly hotter in our house than everywhere else when the power was out. And it's amazing the people you talk to. You're talking to people who are coming in from out of state to try to help. You're talking to people who are just trying to find a meal and, and a little bit of reprieve from everything that's going on. And, and it, it's amazing what people are doing in this community um, in terms of chainsaws showing up and, and cutting down trees. It's unfortunate that you have to go through something like this, but it does bring out the best in people a lot times. Yeah, we hear stories about looting and things like that. But for the most part, people are really helping each other. We were, it's almost ironic. We were talking about this in the office when September 11th came around and we were, you know, remembering that anniversary. And it was kind of like that day was a tough day, but kind of brought out the best in America and people helping people and supporting each other. Well, you know, unfortunately, here we are again, a bad situation, a terrible situation, cost people lives and changed lives. But uh, a lot of people are working to to bring out the best. I mean, it's something common to, to rally around. And, And I know, you know, continuing to talk about these resources that are low. One of the the stories that I was reading was how important it was to grab a bag of ice even. And people Mm. were lining up for hours just to get some of these uh, supplies. And it's those little things that you're taking for granted. But I mean, you need these things and you need to line up for hours for this stuff. Thankfully, that that has calmed down a little bit. When, When gas stations first started coming back online, you could wait in line three hours to get gas, which seems silly because you're going to burn all the gas that you have in your car waiting to get more gas. It almost seemed stupid to do that, but people did. Heck, we, we <laughs> sat in line for about 45 minutes thinking we might get some, but turned around and, and left uh, right. before we got too far into it. But things have calmed down. I was actually at a gas station yesterday where there was no line. They did have gas available. The coolers out front were stocked with ice. So we're starting to see, if you know where to look, you're starting to see things get back a little bit to normal, but there's still that little ting of it's not 100% there yet, and it's going to be a while before you get there. Right. And as the water keeps moving and receding, other areas could flood. Some of the rivers I've been seeing are expected to still crest and maybe spill out. So it's still an ongoing situation and the recovery efforts are going to be long coming still. We're not out of the woods yet. Uh, there's still a long way to go and hopefully Mother Nature doesn't send any more thunderstorms or anything right. this way, yeah. uh, uh, let alone another hurricane. Uh, but uh, we're praying and crossing our fingers that that doesn't happen. But so far, so good. Let's hope things continue on the positive track. Well, thank you for keeping us in the loop on what's going on in Wilmington. Like I said, you guys were, if not the most hardest hit area, I mean, definitely one among them. Alex Riley, reporter for the Wilmington Star News. Thank you very much for joining us.
Absolutely. Thank you all. Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.